today's reading can be found on page 966 uh, of the Church Bibles. Page 966, and it's um, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. The escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, <clears throat> for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. <clears throat> when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The return to Nazareth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus, Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Keep, please keep the passage open in front of you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 26, so page 966, if you've closed your Bibles, because uh, we're going to be looking at that passage together as, uh, as I preach. And let me pray for us that the Lord would help us uh, as we come to his word. Father, we praise you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that every word of it is breathed out by you. And therefore, as we read it, we are reading your words to us. And therefore, Father, we need to pay attention to you and to your word. And we pray now as we look at it together, you would teach us, help us to be ready to listen and to learn. And then to put into practice what we read. Amen. So we come to the tragic events following the birth of Jesus. 
Joseph told in a dream that King Herod is out to kill Jesus. He's also told to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt. King Herod, filled with jealousy after hearing of the birth of a king, has all the boys aged two and under in and around Bethlehem killed. Now, actually, that probably wasn't as big a massacre as you might think. We, we hear of it as being called the slaughter of the innocents. That's what some people have called it. it. It probably wasn't a huge number. Those in and around Bethlehem weren't a vast number of people, and therefore it was probably about a dozen children or so. But it's still tragic, isn't it? Terrible set of events. And then after the family have gone to Egypt, sometime later, after the death of Herod, Joseph has another dream in which an angel tells him it's now safe to return to Israel. So he does, and he goes and they live uh, in Nazareth. And you might think, well, apart from historical interest, what, what difference does this make to us? I mean, it, it adds, adds a bit of spice to a nativity play, doesn't it? Maybe you were in, I, I don't know that I've seen any recently which include this bit. I think in the past some have and some children with delight get to play King Herod. Normally the naughty kid in the class, isn't it? Who gets to play King Herod and revels in that moment, even though actually historically horrible events. But you might well think, well, so what? And the answer is, this passage is actually very significant for you and me. We do need to apply our brains to it, but that's all right, isn't it? We don't mind a bit of that on a Sunday morning, applying our brains to God's word to understand it. I hope you don't mind that. We do need to think about it, but it is incredibly relevant for us. And actually, you'll notice as uh, the, the reading was read, maybe you didn't notice, but within there, there are clues for us as to what the significance is for us. Did you notice three times as, uh, as the passage was read, three times Matthew writes, this was to fulfill something from the Old Testament. This is to fulfill Matthew is flagging up for us. He's saying, this is really relevant to you if you understand how this fits in with Old Testament prophecy. Three times in the space of ten verses, he flags this up to us. We need to be on the alert, don't we? He's not telling us just to see what happened in these events, but to see how they link to the Old Testament. And as we do that, we see how it relates to us. Okay? And like sitting in a waiting room, when suddenly your name is called, our ears need to prick up to go, ah, yes, I see how this relates to us. But there is a little bit of work to, to get there. So, what's our first point? Now, you can follow these on, on the sheet, on uh, the notice sheet on the back of it. You've got three headings, two of which look like they're the same, but you'll find out they're not um, as we go through and the first is this. This is what the first thing that we need to realise. That the people are still in exile. I'm talking about the people in Jesus' day. When Matthew is writing about these events in Jesus' time after Jesus is born, he's saying the people are still in exile. Now, where do we get that? Well, as we went through the passage, we saw... Uh, Matthew saying this is to fulfill certain Old Testament passages and he goes to certain Old Testament quotes 
You see them because they're, um, well, one of them at least is, in, uh, is indented in, in the passage. But there's another one there. There are actually two quotes that he goes to. And both of the prophets that Matthew goes to are about the time of the exile. He goes to Hosea and he goes to Jeremiah. And both of those prophets are around the start of the exile. The exile, which was about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, and it was a key moment. God's people, the Israelites, had been living in the land, the land of Israel, but then were conquered uh, by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians and were taken into exile, taken out of the land. And the prophets, people like Hosea and Jeremiah, had warned the people that the exile was going to happen. And it was going to happen because the people had been disobeying the Lord. And the prophets over and over again had been calling the people back to obey the Lord and saying, if you don't, and because you haven't, you're going to go into exile. These other nations are going to come and attack and conquer and take you out of the land, this land that God had given you. Now, for those who were here during Advent, you know that we bravely had three sermons on the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. Now, just cast your eyes back to that. Look back to the genealogy. So you just need to go back one page to page uh, 965, and you've got all those lists of names. And do you remember we said there, uh, that Matthew highlights for us in that genealogy three key things. Two of them are people. He highlights for us, uh, and the highlights it kind of are there in verse 17, aren't they? He says, Thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. That's kind of four things, but, but three things really in, in that genealogy before you get to Jesus. He says, Abraham, that's a key moment. And he says, David, the birth of David, that's a key moment. And then the exile. See, Matthew is giving us a kind of Bible overview, an Old Testament overview. He's saying, look, here are key moments. Abraham, David, exile. And do you notice that really, after the exile, he doesn't actually pick out another key moment until you get to Jesus. In other words, Matthew is telling us they're still in exile. Now, it is true that, if you follow the Old Testament history, there was a kind of return to the land. There were key moments where, when people did return to the land and they did rebuild the temple and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. So there was a kind of return from exile. But it was never as good as, when, uh, as before the exile. And you never had, after that, a Davidic king ruling over Israel in the way you did with David and Solomon. So in the most significant ways, Matthew is saying they're still in exile. Now, already, there is a parallel with us. The exile of the Israelites is a picture of where humanity is in relation to God. 
From the early chapters of the Bible, we see humanity rejecting God, disobeying his word, right from Genesis 3, and so being banished from his presence. And Israel, as you go through the Old Testament, again God's chosen people brought into his land, yet they disobey God and are kicked out of the land. They are in miniature what humanity is on a grander scale, in exile from God. That's where the Bible says we are, living in exile, estranged from God. Kind of like, though not exactly like, Prince Harry and Meghan living off in America, having turned against the family, they've gone away and are living in a distant land. Okay, in the Bible, we're, we're sort of kicked out by God, but so the parallel isn't exact, but you see, they're, they're at a distance, they're away. So are we, as humanity, away from God. And the exile of the Israelites needs to be in our minds as we then come to this passage that was read. And so we come to the second point. Sorry, I should have been... There we go. So the people are still in exile. Second point, the exile is... Well, I'll fill in the blank in a moment. Matthew tells us in verse 13... So you've got exile in mind as you come to the beginning of this passage. Verse 13 of chapter 2. So turn back the page if you want to, back to page 966. He says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So, Joseph is told, Herod wants to kill Jesus. So take Jesus and Mary and go to Egypt. And so he did. Verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now that is a quote from the book of Hosea. And so we need to go back to Hosea to understand it. Now, I should have written down a page number for you. 908. Thank you. You are very quick. We're anticipating this. 908. Thank you. Well done. Page 908. Hosea chapter 11. Oh, you might want to keep something in Matthew chapter 2. Oh, too late. Never mind. Page 908. So Hosea chapter 11 is where Matthew quotes from. And remember, Hosea is around the time of the exile, beginning of the exile. And this is how Hosea begins in uh, uh, chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so, again, we've got to apply our brains, haven't we? Here? We've got Matthew saying, go back to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, B, 
beginning of the exile, people being taken out of the land. And Hosea, in chapter 11, verse 1, goes back again. We're kind of doing bouncing back in history. He says, go back to the beginning of the, of the nation of Israel. What happened then? He says, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt, and this is talking about the exodus, when God brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, brought them out through the Passover and through the Red Sea, and then there was the wandering, and then brought them into the land. He said, out of Egypt I called my son. Interesting. God calling Israel his son. And he's speaking with tenderness about them. He's saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt. And he talks about caring for them, and yet their rebellion against him. Verse 2, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, that's false gods, and they burned incense to images, and so on. God loved them, called them, brought them to e out of Egypt into Israel, into the land that he was going to give them, but they persistently rejected him. And so God says, verse 5, will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Now notice the language here. God is saying, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. Now, it wasn't actually Egypt who then came and took them into exile. It, it, was, it was the Assyrians, Babylonians, you know, it was, it was them. It was never the Egypt who came and did this. But God is saying, figuratively speaking, I'm sending you back. I'm returning you. I might return a faulty good, you know, within 14 days or whatever it is. God's saying, I'm returning you. You're faulty. You're not just faulty, you're disobedient. I loved you. I cared for you. I called you out. But you disobeyed persistently, consistently. So I'm sending you back to Egypt. But there is hope. Cast your eyes over to verse 10 and 11. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt. Trembling like sparrows from Assyria, fluttering like doves, I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So right at the start of the exile, God is saying, I'm sending you back. But there is hope. You will return. I will call for you. And you will come back. There is hope. And that's what's left unfulfilled in Hosea 11. The exile begins with a promise that one day God will bring his people back out of exile, out of Egypt. So when Matthew says, look what's happening here, Jesus is going down to Egypt and returning, he is saying, this fulfills the prophecy in Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. In other words, Matthew is saying, the exile is 
over. And that's the point of the Jeremiah quote too. Do go back to Matthew chapter 2, so page 966. In verses 16 and 17, we see Herod, who realises he's been outwitted by the Magi, verse 16, getting angry, getting jealous, ordering the killing of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years old and younger. And then you get this quote from Jeremiah, verse 17, that then was fulfilled what... what, Excuse me. Then what what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now I won't turn this back there as well. But in that chapter you've got weeping in Jeremiah, again before, around the time of the exile, you've got weeping for children. And in Jeremiah it's weeping for children who are going into exile, who are being taken out of the land. But it is in a chapter, Jeremiah 31, of incredible hope and positivity and of return. And the New Testament writers assume you're going to know this context. So even the Jeremiah passage, which is about weeping and mourning, Matthew is saying, look, this is being fulfilled here by this weeping for these children who are being slaughtered. But it's in the context of hope, of return to the land. And so Matthew is saying, be on the alert. Yes, this is tragic. This is terrible circumstances. But the Old Testament is being fulfilled. There is hope. There's hope of return. As Jesus comes from Egypt to Israel, the point is the exile is over. But it's over, and this is the third point, The exile is over in Jesus. Do you notice? I mean, it is a little odd, isn't it? If you're saying the exile is over, who is it that goes to Egypt and returns? Well, it's Jesus and his family. But it's Jesus, isn't it? It's not that Jesus gets the whole nation of Israel and says, come on everyone, let's go down to Egypt and back again in a symbolic kind of let's all go down and let's all come back out of exile. I mean, he was a baby, so he couldn't do that. But it wasn't that. It was just Jesus who went down and back. And there's significance in that as well. The quote from Hosea is, out of Israel I called my son. And Matthew says, the son is Jesus. Jesus fulfills Israel. And this isn't the only point in the New Testament where Jesus fulfills and embodies the people of God, of Israel. For instance, let me give you another example. In John's Gospel, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine. In the Old Testament, the vine was Israel. He's saying, that points to me. I am the fulfillment of Israel. I am the embodiment of God's people. 
And therefore you don't need all of the people to go down to Egypt and all of the people to come back. You just need Jesus to. He goes down, he comes back. He is the fulfilment, he is the embodiment of Israel. Now, we're used to this kind of idea of a person embodying other people in other contexts. We've used this illustration before. If you're not a sports fan, just go with this, all right? But we will often talk about a team embodying, a national team embodying that nation. Yeah? So the England team, when they come out on the pitch, someone will say, here comes England. You go, well, it's not everyone about to come out onto the pitch, is it? It's just the team, because they embody, they represent us. In football, if Harry Kane scores a goal, we say, England scored. If he misses a goal, we say, Harry Kane missed. <laughs> but he embodies us, doesn't he, in some way. Well, so too with Jesus, but on a much better and more wonderful way. He is the embodiment of, the representation of God's people, the Israelites, as he goes down to Egypt and as he returns. And Matthew is saying, look, this is the fulfilment. And here is where we need to have our ears pricking up as if we're in that waiting room and we hear our name. That we go, hang on, this is how this relates to you and me. Because the way Jesus relates to the people of Israel is the way that he relates to you and me. Jesus represents and embodies you and me. What he does, we do. What happens to him, happens to us. Being a Christian is not first and foremost about Jesus being our example, showing us how to live, as if all we have to do is copy him. Oh, he does show us how to live. But first and foremost, Jesus needs to be our representative he needs to embody us because you and I need rescuing. We need to come out of exile. We need to be brought back to God. And that happens at the cross when Jesus dies on the cross. But do you see, the cross only works for you and me if Jesus represents us if he embodies us. Otherwise, Jesus is just a man 2,000 years ago dying on a cross. And you think, what difference does that make to you and me? There were many others who died on crosses back then. No, he needs to represent us to be our embodiment. And we get that in the New Testament. For instance, in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Or in Colossians, he says to the Christians that they have died with Christ. Were they literally there on the cross? No. He's saying, Jesus was your representative. He was your embodiment. When he died, you died. So too for us. In Jesus, 
your and my exile can be over. Not because we achieve it, but because he achieved it. Not because we can make ourselves close to God. Not because we can draw ourselves in, but because he was drawn in. Because he did what we can't. Your exile is over in Jesus. That's how this relates to you and me. Whereas the Bible says all people are exiled from God because of our sin, in Jesus there is a way to be brought back to God. Some of you, I know, love the old choruses. Let me just quote one for you. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Now, there are two mistakes that we can make. Two mistakes. The first is to think that we aren't in exile when actually we are. A person could be here who thinks that they are not in exile from God, that they are in a good relationship with God when actually they're not. That clearly would be a terrible place to be, to think that you're all right with God when you aren't. Now, we're going to see... Uh, see something of this we're going to see more of this next week because next week we see John the Baptist confronting the Pharisees about exactly this and so we're not going to dwell on that mistake so much right now but clearly it is a danger just to say a tiny bit on that Jesus at one point in the Sermon on the Mount towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount which is in Matthew's Gospel says this Jesus said not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven it's possible to fool ourselves Jesus is saying and through beliefs or behaviors which are persistently and unrepentantly against God's word we can show that we are in fact still far from God, even though we think we're near. Now we'll come back to that next time. But I want us to focus on the second mistake we might make, which is to focus on those who live as if they're in exile from God when they aren't. So, maybe you've come to Jesus in the past. You've brought to him your sin. You've mourned for your sin, as the New Testament tells us to. You've asked for forgiveness, for God to change you by his spirit. And his promise is that those who come to him will receive forgiveness. He draws us near by the blood of Jesus We are in, in the family. To use the terms of the prodigal son, we are back in the centre of the family through Jesus. And yet it is quite possible, and I think quite common, that we live 
as if we're still in exile from God. Do you recognise that in yourself? That we would live day by day assuming that we're not in it, that we are in, still in exile. Like someone who maybe has, a, a, who's been given a reservation at a fancy hotel. All expenses are paid. All they've got to do is go in and enjoy it. They've got the best suite. All the food is paid for. They just have to go in and enjoy it. And yet they persist in sleeping on the streets and begging for food. Why do we do this? How do we do this? Maybe because you still think that your sin is on you. That's one way that we still think our sin is on us. Though we've heard that there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, notice, in Christ Jesus, yet we can't quite believe that the debt is fully paid. Past wrongs haunt us. They tap us on the shoulder get our attention when we don't expect it and cause us to remember what we did and the guilt that comes with it and so we assume God can't really actually have forgiven me because it keeps coming up in my mind and so we live day by day as if we were in exile and yet we need to remember our exile is over in Jesus he achieved it for you. And therefore you are as close to God as Jesus is. Is Jesus in exile from his father? Then neither are you. Is Jesus deeply loved by his father? So are you. You are in him. But even if you know your sin is dealt with by Jesus, it's still possible that we think of ourselves as living in exile from him even still. How? Well, it might be because of, our, because of sin that we think is still on us, but we might also think it because of events that happen in our lives. Hard things come, whether in family life or in your marriage or in your workplace or in other ways. And in our hearts we say, God has obviously taken his eye off me. He obviously doesn't care. I must be at a distance from God. But that is not true. Your exile is over in Jesus. He has brought you near. Or, the last way that I'll pick on for now, maybe it's because of decisions you made in the past. I spoke to someone not that long ago, not a member of our church family, who, who, who thought this. Past decisions that were made. Maybe past decisions you've made where you've thought, actually, I realise now that was a big mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Maybe it wasn't sinful, but you go, I, I it was unwise. And you go, I shouldn't have made that. It was a big decision, and it's it shaped my life since then. And you wonder now whether because you made that decision that you're now on the periphery, 
that you're now distant from God. Oh, if only you'd made that decision to go a different way. Then you'd be close to God. Then maybe he could be using you more. Maybe you'd have been more faithful there. You'd be able to be used there, but you made the decision to go the other way, and now you feel, I'm just far off from God. There's no return. That is not the case. Your exile is over in Jesus. And all of those ways that we think of, where we think, oh, I must be distant from God, are actually things because we think it's down to us to make ourselves close to God. Do you see that? That if I'd made the right decision, I would be closer to God. That if I hadn't sinned in that way and had to come back to God, then I would be close to God. In other words, it's all about you and me. I have to draw close to God in me. No, you draw close to God in Jesus. He has done it for you. And therefore, Christian, you are close to God in Jesus. Stop living as if you're in exile. Stop living as if you're an orphan. Or as if God merely puts up with you. How can we change this? I want to encourage you um, every morning this week, don't want to make it too big a task, you know, every morning for the rest of your life or something, I don't want you to sign up for that. Not that you're signing up for this, but I want to encourage you every morning this week, maybe before you get up, maybe you, you've woken up, you're in that hazy, you've woken up, or maybe you ping awake, I don't know, but you, you've woken up and it's before you actually get out of bed. Would you take a moment at the beginning of the day to thank God that in Jesus you are not in exile that he brought you close that Jesus through his death and resurrection has brought you into the family of God and that you can call God your father just enjoy that for a moment at the beginning of every day and then commit the day to God and live that day knowing in Jesus your exile is over. So I hope you see that these events are very relevant for us. Matthew has flagged it up for us. These events fulfill Old Testament promises, particularly about the end of the exile. It is over in Jesus for you and me. We need to live knowing it's true. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for, uh, for this passage and for where Matthew points us to. Thank you, Father, that the exile is over in Jesus. And I pray that you would help each one of us genuinely to come to Jesus. And then to live in the light of his work for us, that in him we are drawn close to you. Father, help us this week to live this out day by day, morning by morning. Amen.